0: Welcome to the Sports and Torts Podcast, your go-to podcast for entertaining conversations on sports, law, and business. This podcast is powered by the Jay Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, here is your host, Joshua Stein. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the next episode of Sports and Torts. I know, I know, I know that we have been very heavy College football and sports and UGA, the last little bit. Look, it's not my fault. It's that time of year, and I I just can't help myself. But alas, we are back to some lawyer talk today, and it's going to be a good one. My friend Jonathan Hawkins is in the house uh, Jonathan has best been described as a lawyer's lawyer. In fact, that is what his law firm does, represents lawyers and law firms. He's always been such a great resource for me, and I'm excited I'm excited for him to share his knowledge with all of you. My man, Mr. Hawkins, how are we doing?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
0: Man, it's good to see you. It's been a while. Been a long time. But it's a good time. We're uh, in Athens together, so cheers to cheers.
1: about, what, 20 years since law school? Coming up on that? Yeah. So it'll be 21 for me. This uh, spring. So I was uh, class of 03. You were one year
0: ahead of me. um, And then Andy Goldner, who we were just talking to, I think he was one year ahead of you. So we had had all three years, uh, you know, represented.
1: So Andy and I worked together my first law firm job out of law school. Oh, I didn't know that. So I spent a year down in Savannah and I came back here and worked with Andy. I remember he gave me uh, my first deposition. I remember he said, hey go cover this for me.
0: <laughs> did, he, did he give you some advice or just like, go do it, figure it out? He
1: just said, go. I remember I was terrified. I, I didn't even have to ask maybe
0: two questions, but I was terrified. But isn't, yeah. isn't that a great way to learn though? It's just, like get thrown in the fire and be like, figure it out. No one's tell you. Yeah. He probably has no memory of it at all, but you know.
1: Look at you now, man! I Look at you now.
0: Where for those for those people out there that don't know you, introduce yourself. Who you are? Where you're from? All that good stuff.
1: Sure, Jonathan Hawkins. Um, I've got a law firm here in Atlanta called Law Firm GC, and the way I describe it, we're business lawyers for lawyers. Help them in their business related needs, uh, ethics advice, and you know partnership agreements, all that kind of stuff. Two things we don't do is you know bar agreements defense or um, legal malpractice defense.
0: I love the law firms you see. It just hits it in like four words, three, or three words, actually. It tells you like what it is. Who came it, up with that?
1: That was me. And I was trying to come up with something cool. I yeah. couldn't think of anything. And I just said, all right, I'll just do this. I mean, it was just, I had nothing else to do. I wanted to come up with a trade name versus a my name. And I wanted it to be something, but that's...
0: Yeah. And over the years, uh, that's been a lot of uh, work published to come out. Like, It doesn't have to be your your name for the law firm, right? You can do... What what you what you have?
1: Yeah, so the, the rules have changed. Some states still don't allow it, but in Georgia at the time, you had to at least have one name in there. They've since eliminated that, so you can just have a straight up trade name. Okay. Um, and you know, part of what I do is a lot of law firm breakups, and you know, I see a lot of partners come and go, and everybody's like, "Where's my name?" and "Who's my name?" and somebody leaves, you got to change the letterhead again. Name change letterhead. Yeah, so I was just like, all right, I'm just gonna name it something that has nobody's name in it. You're locked and loaded. Uh, you from here, from Atlanta from Georgia? I grew up in Mobile,
0: Alabama. Okay. okay. And then you was a Georgia Tech undergrad. I'm Georgia Tech, I know you're a big Georgia guy. <laughs> well, look, you're Georgia Tech and Georgia. So that's right. You that's know, right. you can you can do both. Where do the alliances fall?
1: You know, I hate to say it. Uh as as well as we play, I'll say. Uh but yeah, Georgia Tech. is is tough. Through and through. It's tough. I just it's it's hard to root for Georgia. It's just for me. Yeah. I tell people if I if I moved to Seattle and I stayed there for a while. I could probably start rooting for Georgia. But here, it's just like everybody, I mean, and you guys don't lose. I know. I know. You don't lose. I know. Um,
0: in Athens, though, like you're there for three years. So, is it just drive you crazy, the red and black, and cheering for
1: football team and all that? No. I mean, I'll say I loved Athens. I loved Athens. I mean, Tech going to tech as a school sort of sucks. Um, good degree, good friends, all that, good preparation, but... Not fun like Athens. Yeah, it's, it's different. I, I tell people, I thought when I first day on campus, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven.
0: You yeah. <laughs> have. You have. It's God's <laughs> country, baby. You have. Now, you studied industrial engineering at tech. So,
1: yeah. So, that's sort of like I call it like a business engineering degree. I mean, I was always good at math and science. And, you know, actually, I'm a third generation tech. Um, so, I went there, did that. Um, before I even graduated, I knew I did not want to be uh, an engineer, practicing engineer, but I was almost done. I said, I'll just finish it just up, roll with just it. Just get done. Just yeah. Get does does the thinking that engineering training and
0: thinking that help with the law school analysis? because there's a lot of people that go from tech to, to Georgia or not that, but just from tech to law school.
1: It, it probably does. I mean, the way I think is almost like in uh, equations, uh, A plus B equals C. And then, you know, in a lot of the law school approach for exams, it's sort of the same thing. I was not good at the big flowery language. And, you know, for exams, you don't want that. You just you just want to say, here are the here issues. Here we go. Here we yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I did okay.
0: You did pretty good at Georgia. Uh, law review editor, right? Uh, you know, I don't know how I got on, but yeah. You did it? I never did law <laughs> review, man. You guys worked way too hard for me, man. Y'all were like... I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing pretty good at it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I felt I I got some imposter syndrome on that. (laughs) I got on it. So
0: So modest. Um, Now, after law school, I know you did a judicial clerkship with a federal judge, right?
1: Yeah, down in Savannah. Which
0: is pretty damn neat. I mean, I've had several people on here that have worked in clerkships with state court judges, but I think you're the first federal clerk I've had. So explain to people the difference in like state versus federal and the judges and what all that entails.
1: Well, I I don't know all the differences, but, you know, federal, you know, in the federal level, you got – District judges, which are sort of the trial court level, and then the appellate judges. I did a district level uh, clerkship. And, um, you know, that's another thing I feel sort of lucky about because most of them back in that day, I think you applied like maybe your first year. And believe it or not, I went to law school wanting to be a plaintiff's lawyer. Um, And I did everything, I, I, I did not pursue any other types of, you know, uh, job options except plaintiff's firms. But at the time, I didn't realize most plaintiff's firms don't hire people straight out of law right, school. Right. So I was trying and trying and trying and didn't get it. Right. So then third year came around, and uh, I didn't have a job lined up. And then um this judge, uh, uh, a spot opened up down in Savannah, and he needed somebody. And I was like, Let's roll. all right, I'll do it. Let's roll. So I felt kind of lucky to get that. But it was a one-year clerkship. And it's sort of a, you know, A good transition, I think, from law school, you know, law school, it's all academic here, you know, studying cases, writing briefs, I mean, papers or whatever. And, you know, the clerkship down there was, you know, in the trial court and you're still sort of doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. You're not quite practicing yet, but it's a step closer. And I remember thinking, this is great, man. You get, I get paid to do what I was paying the school to do, you know.
0: And seeing some pretty cool stuff too, right?
1: Yeah, it was cool. It was cool.
0: All, all different wide variety of cases. And I always thought being a federal judge must be pretty damn awesome.
1: You know, the, I think so. Because they just <laughs> got some power. I, I remember one time. Period hard stop. Th- this is this is a good one. Um, so there was one time, uh, it, it might have been Tuesday or Wednesday of whatever week it was. And we were getting, it was a discovery dispute. Um, and we we're just getting, I mean, all these filings, boom, 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 boom. And the judge came in, and I mean, stacks of filings. It was, I think it was Austin and Bird, maybe on one side, and somebody else on the other, and two two businesses fighting. And the judge just said, he just went into his assistant. He said, call the lawyers, tell them we're having a hearing on Friday, and I want the CEOs here too. Yep. And this was like a Wednesday. So basically, everybody from Atlanta had to come down to Savannah on Friday, That's and awesome. we had an all day hearing. Uh, and by the end of the day, that, that dispute was it was, gone. Done. It was, done. It was done yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I, I love hearing stories like that I'm, I've heard them go one step further like by the end of the day the case was settled like they've they, like like no one's leaving this room until we resolve this case because what are you gonna do I mean federal
1: judge do they want to do yeah the state court judges don't quite have that power or they no. if they do they don't exercise it because because they have to get elected so yeah
0: no that's right so the transition to doing business law um the first job with andy or with his same firm that was litigation work right injury or am i wrong I'm trying to yeah so we
1: did med mal defense okay. and uh michelin tire blowout defense so right. i sort of did a little bit of both of that um did that for about a year and a half and you know got all this great experience quick learned how to you know take depositions went to a couple trials second chairs it, it was it was cool but I did not like the medicine mm-hmm. and I wanted to do more business stuff. So I switched to another firm, did a lot of business and real estate litigation for a while. Um, and then sort of went down the path to where I am now, started at that second firm. Yeah.
0: So when, you, when, you, when people say business law, business issues, like I've never worked on those kind of cases, but it could be anything, right? I mean, anytime businesses have some sort of dispute that needs resolution or formation or dissolution, or I guess the sky's the limit.
1: Yeah, so, you know, um, any contract dispute, any sort of commercial dispute, um, I'd I throw in there in, into that bucket. You know, I started doing what I call business divorce cases. So, closely held businesses, people splitting apart. Um, and I started doing that at the second firm. And then my dad, who uh, retired now, but he was a lawyer down in Mobile, and he was doing some law firm breakup cases. And he had done, I don't know, something like, Five in the span of three years in Mobile, which is mm-hmm. maybe a tenth of the size of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, like, you know, you're already doing the business divorce He, He's like, there's got to be a bunch of this in Atlanta. You should look at it. And so I just started looking around and and there was nobody really in Atlanta that said, hey, this is what I do. You,
0: you are the guy. I mean, you know, your, your branding, your, your niche, like that's what people recognize you. as. So, bravo. Like that, you you had this idea and you took it and I think that's great.
1: It took, it took forever, (laughs) but yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my advice to other lawyers. It's, you know, it just take the time. It it took me, you know, probably eight years of just hitting it, hitting it, hitting it to really establish it. There's
0: no, there's no quick fix, right? There's no overnight pill you can take or no overnight kind of sensation. Like you got to put in the work and eight years later or whatever the, the path is, like here you are. So, and again, like law firm GC, your email address, jhawkins at yourlawfirmgc.com.
1: I love it. It's great. Yeah. Lawfirmgc.com was taken. So I had to put the the year in front of there. <laughs> I think it works, though, right? I mean, it makes it that much
0: more personal. yeah, I like it. So you mentioned the the business divorce cases. Paul Simon, uh, not the singer. The lawyer in Atlanta was on here a couple of weeks ago. he does he does divorce work, family work. and he was we talked a lot about just the personal nature of divorce and how it gets very emotional and it can get, I mean, you know, how does that compare like the business divorces? I mean, it's still very personal, still very emotional
1: uh, is it can get very personal, very emotional, but you know, and, and I guess the business, might be the kid or the kid you're fighting over, um, but you know it's usually a shorter relationship. It's usually a little less. Uh, I mean, I've never done any family law, but I imagine it's a little less heated. But I've seen some some heated fights for sure. Usually, over money. Is that always? Not always, but is that the? Uh, it, it's usually after money. I mean, I tell you, the ones that really get messy are the ones where. It's a, maybe a husband and wife, and they're going through a divorce too. Oh my goodness! I've never done
0: one of those. Yeah, I've heard about those, that, that, those. That'd be double duty right there. So, so my wife works, um, works for the law firm. She's not a lawyer, um, but we do work together, and so I can see how that. You know, I can see how that can happen. Um, that's a double double whammy right
1: there. Oh, man, it's, it's rough. Luckily, I've never done one of those. I I probably would not do one of
0: those. No, 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 no. no. So are you getting on the front end too? Like, Hey, I'm starting this firm up. What do I need to be thinking about? Get my, my documents in a row.
1: Yeah. So that's, so I started out doing the breakups and then, you know, a lot of times if, if the lawyers came to me with a partnership agreement, many times they did not have one. And if they did, it was really not built for the issues that, the law firms were litigating over. Mm-hmm. And so then I said, all right, I, I need to start drafting these agreements to sort of minimize or avoid these disputes. Um, and so, and then also there's all these, you know, ethics rules, things that lawyers cannot do that other businesses can. So I had to learn all those. And so then I started drafting the agreements to avoid all the the fights, you know, we were, we were fighting. And, you know, I still do both now. I, so, I, you know, I, the way I say it, from formation to disillusion, everything in between, um, And I still do the, the breakups and I still, and I do a lot of the partnership agreements. And every time I do a breakup, there's some new weird issue that comes up that I've never seen before. And then it works its way Way back into the front end. Yeah. Yeah. So they feed off each other.
0: You can use all the experience what you've seen, um, to then help people in the front end. So give us some, give us some free advice. Like what are some common issues people come to you with the, or they don't come to you, but they say, Hey, I'm starting this firm. Like what are people not thinking about that you kind of set them on the right path to be thinking through?
1: So, um, you know, for personal injury firms, contingency firms, this is a big one. Is um, you know, I guess we'll, let's back up. The sort of the rule is uh, you can't have knock an and piece with lawyers. Clients always get to choose. Um, and so, if a lawyer leaves and they had material contact with the client, they can say, "Hey, client, I want you to come with me," and the client gets to choose. And so, you know, for for the contingency firms, I. Strongly recommend uh, you cannot do an agreement without this. If it comes through my office, is you sort of set up on the front end if a client leaves, this is how we're going to split the fees. Um, if you don't have something like that in the agreement, then typically you fall back on sort of a quantum meruit type analysis. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can maybe come up with some other theories, but at the end of the day, it's probably going to be quantum meruit. So, um, you know, I'm a big believer when everybody's still friends and everything's going to go perfectly well, write it all out, you write it out, agree to it on the front end. And then if something goes, but you can always change it do something different. Yeah. But if you can't agree, you at least have a fallback.
0: Yeah. And when things get wonky, you don't want to be creating, you know, the rules of engagement at that point in time, or if things go good or bad, like if a case value goes like through the roof and it's like, wait a minute, I think I want more of that now or the other way. You always got to go back to how it was at the beginning.
1: That's the thing. I mean, I mean, when a contingency firm breaks apart, everybody wants the good cases and they want to want everybody else take the dogs. Yeah. So, you know, you try to set up a system to, to account for that.
0: Now you, you worked with, or do work with, you know,
1: plaintiff's firms, defense firms, criminal law, civil
0: law, family law. I mean, it's all of it, right? So you got to kind of understand the nuts and bolts of how all these practices work. How do you figure all that out?
1: I like it. I love the business of law. That's, this, that's what I like more than anything. Um, and and what I've seen, you know, I do represent all types of law firms, consumer, business, contingency, hourly, fixed fee, you name it. Um, and it's fun. There's, you know, I, I've seen so many different business models and so many types of practices where people are killing it. So, I mean, it's, you know, everybody thinks all the plaintiff's lawyers are making all the money, but there there's some other types of practices that they're making really good money too yeah and it's all about how they design it you know some owners are are more savvy business people than others but um you know for me i just love getting in there and seeing it yeah
0: no totally and and all firms are the makeups are different compensation miles are different partnership tracks are different that's what's so cool the practice of law is like there's no one size fits all um and you probably said better than anybody like look under the hood of these law firms they all do things a little bit differently
1: that's right you know people come to me and they say, sometimes they say all right well what's the standard way people compensate their attorneys and I'm like
0: well, there's there, none there's no standard there i can none.
1: give you some sort of bright line there's no bright line rule but i can give you some sort of things i've seen and and really it's sort of what works for your firm right no that, that's it like if you try to
0: follow the, the model of somebody else just because they work for them like it's, it's not gonna not gonna be a good situation um because everybody's cases are different, everybody's clients are different. I mean, I did malpractice defense work, legal malpractice defense work. So I okay. for like one or two years, and so I had lawyers that messed up as my clients. And I'll be honest with you, they could be kind of hard to represent. It could be hard to represent a lawyer because they know more, you know, about the case or how to be done. Um, but you make a living of, re- of representing lawyers. So have you found that, or they they pretty good to work with
1: for the most part i like my lawyer clients they, they get it um i did not know you did legal mal-defense that's that's, that's cool not for very long um, I did do several. So you, so you know some of these issues um i like having lawyers as clients they, they get yeah. it and again sort of their business is my business and i learn from all of them i learn from all of them you know that's the this, thing when they become my clients i'm pumping them with questions how, how do you do this how do you do that um, cause I'm just always trying to
0: always learn. Yeah. Yeah. And you even will help clients and, and law firms like make strategic decisions on growth and hiring. I know on your LinkedIn, you talk a lot about like thinking through proper steps of growth with, which that's one thing I'm not very good at. Like, um, I don't, I don't really like to spend time thinking about that stuff. Maybe I should, but what is your advice to younger lawyers and when they look at their firm, like how they should go about just growing it or building it or keeping it as it is or.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's. It's funny, you know, uh, before we started, um, I'm starting a podcast and, and, and part of the the purpose of it is for me to explore these kinds of questions because everybody's got a different approach. People made different mistakes along the way. And I can't say that I, I've got all the answers, but, you know, I think if you're starting your firm, you know, there's a few things that I, that I would recommend, you know, very quickly, um, hire either an outsourced bookkeeper or or part-time somebody that can, you can start to delegate things to I think one mistake I see a lot of lawyers who start their own firm make initially is they, they hold on to everything mm-hmm. too long um, and so the quicker you can start delegating some of these things the faster your firm's going to grow and just the less stress you'll have as an owner yeah
0: I think that lawyers can be um, control want to be in control, you know, like we can't let anybody else do parts of this business. I think the, the example, and you might've just said it, uh, was like a bookkeeper, right? Like, like do it yourself versus let somebody else do it, do it the right way, spend your time doing other things. Like you're going to make more money spending your time more wisely. I mean, that is
1: like probably the lowest hanging fruit. I mean, it's just getting out. I mean, they aren't that expensive. Um, and just to try to figure that out. And I mean, I hated doing, I did it for like a month and a half, and I was like, I'm not doing it. I get
0: a report that shows up in my inbox on the first day of the end of every month or the first day after the next month, and all my reports are beautifully done. And boom, like I can't, I don't even know how they do it. I don't even accurate? know how they do it. Yeah. And then in the, the quarter, in the year term for the accountant, uh, you know, and it's done. So I, I can't imagine going back. What are some other things that some of the low hanging fruit that you're seeing people kind of missing?
1: You know, you know, an, another thing that I, I think a lot of, uh, I say it's 50-50, you know, when people go out, they, they get scared and they feel like they got to take every case or every client. Uh, that's another one that's just, you need to be more selective in, in the types of cases you take and the types, types of clients you, you you know, let that you engage. Um, you know, you're scared that you're not going to be able to make payroll or whatever it is or, or pay the bills. And so you take these cases where really you'd be better off saying no, because if you just wait a little bit longer, probably the case you want, going to yeah. come in.
0: Yeah, totally, man. Like the hourly stuff, I get it. You're getting paid by the hour you do it. But like for my business, I've always been told, you know, no work is better than bad work. And, you know, doing the bad work is going to take your time away from marketing or other parts of your firm or, or doing all the good cases. And if you do it thinking, that oh, I'm the one that can turn this case around. I can. No, you can't. The, the cases are what they are. They're not good. They're not good. And to your point, like, don't think it take everything.
1: And then you don't want to work on it. You
0: don't want to work on it. And then all yeah. of a sudden they're going to hire somebody like you in your past
1: life. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Because you neglected the case. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, I'm the same way too with like, uh, when I meet a client on the front end, like if I don't get a good feeling for that person. I'm pretty quick now to be like, I just don't think I'm the right fit for you. Because to your point about like when things are good, if you can't come up with a, a good plan, like- if you don't like your client on day one, when things are good, like you're not going to like them on 180 on do, or day 270. They're not probably going to like you because like you said, you're not going to work on the case. So you just set yourself up for failures. So were you always that good or is that something that you sort of grew into? I grew into it. Um, I think everybody has to kind of learn their lesson a few times, yeah. you know? Um, but I do think I've gotten pretty good at that over the years. Um, and a lot of it is just kind of selfishness. I want to work with people who I like, and who will be appreciative to me and who I can genuinely give a good result to. Like, if I can't make this person happy
1: with the result, like, what's the point? Yeah. So like, you know, the client comes in and says, you're the third lawyer I've seen. You're like, yeah, I'm not gonna be able to help you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that
0: is, that could be a telltale side. Um, Although you never know. Sometimes you can just look at cases a little differently, but um, that is, that is something that you need to be keeping your ear out for, you know? Um, And then I've also read, you talk about, Kind of thinking about retirement or transition or even moving outside of the practice of law. So like, you're 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 helping your clients think through all levels of this.
1: You know, it's it's more and more people are calling me about what I call transitioning or, or secession planning, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the more I've done this, the more you know, I'm sort of my opinions about it are are starting to you know get a little more concrete. But you know, the earlier you know, certainly I think. You know, three to five years is the minimum that you should start planning and thinking about it. But really, I think 10, 15, maybe even when you start your firm, you should be sort of thinking about the end of it because you will make decisions and, and create systems and the structure that will allow you to, to exit if you want. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the way I sort of think about it and tell people, if you can, build your firm and structure it in a way that allows you to exit. Um, That means it can largely run without you. It gives you the option to exit if you want to, but if you don't want to, you can keep riding it as long as you want Uh, and doing the stuff you like to do. Not everything, just the stuff you like to do.
0: Now, is that thinking along lines of like strategic hiring to put people in place to step in, scaling certain, certain things, making it run without you all the above?
1: I think all the above. I mean, you know, the, the, the less you know, I. I There's another thing I say. That, you know, the less a firm depends on you, the more valuable it is. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. You know. I also help for solos or solely owned firms. You know, I call it the sudden health crisis plan, but it's sort of a you know what happens if you get hit by a bus. You know, we we sort of structure it and put a plan in place. You get you pick a backup attorney, and we get an agreement in place in case you get hit by a bus. Um, but if you have a team around you and you can sort of build it that way, then if you want, if it's, if it can survive without you, you can take a month off and go to the beach or go wherever. Uh, and then when you get back, it's still there and it's running smoothly. Everybody's dream,
0: right? To get that set up. I mean, I've heard it put it, you spend more time working, uh, is it on your business versus in your business? Or am I saying that backwards? I think that's the, right. Yeah. The, the, the point being is that not just hammering out the actual assignments every day it's worth yeah
1: never gonna give it up they just love trying cases yeah and it's it's like okay build your firm so that's all you get to do you get to do exactly what you want to do um instead of worrying about all the other stuff and you can do it till you die at your desk yeah Uh,
0: how do you approach saying like look you also got to think about the some some bad potentials, too. Like, sometimes things don't work out. Like, how do you get people to kind of be thinking about not only the good, but also the bad and the ugly? Those are those be hard conversations, I imagine.
1: It is, and it's tough. I mean, I think it's like, you know, everybody knows they need a will, but they don't want to take the time and actually do it. Um, you know, I think every, people don't want to think about mortality or, or think about the bad stuff. And uh, it's, and they're busy. You know, it's hard to get them to... Take, you know, hit pause and go focus on this thing that is not really pleasant to think about. Mm-hmm. But you know, in my opinion, everybody should. I, I have parachuted in in situations where uh, you know a lawyer passed away and they did not have a plan in place, and it's 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 a mess, and it it doesn't. Necessarily end very well at all for the family or anybody.
0: I went through that a couple of years ago with a friend of mine. Um, that's when I learned that the state bar has you know these designations that you put of lawyers that step in to take over um, as your successor. I, I, truthfully, I wasn't aware of all that, but you have these cases and these clients that have existing cases and matters and must move on, and someone's got to pick them up. It's uh, it's not easy to work through that t- that kind of stuff.
1: You know, it's funny, I've talked to some people at State Bar and uh, they told me, they said, yeah, you know, because, you know, on the annual renewal uh, for our whatever bar renewal, there's that line you can fill in for your backup attorney. And they say that they've had some instances where they, they lawyer dies and they call the person on file and they say... Josh, you know, we, we understand you're the backup attorney for so-and-so over here. And then they're like, what are you talking about? Don't even know. <laughs> don't even know. Don't
0: even know. I mean, until I went through that a couple of years ago, I didn't know that was really a, th- a thing. I mean, it's almost like when someone passed away and they have young children, you're reading the will about who's getting the kids. That's the closest thing I can
1: equate it to. And sometimes they don't know it either. It's like, here you go. Um, and the other thing I've seen too, you know, um, let's say you've got a little more structure. It's not just a solo, um, if, if all of a sudden the owner is gone, the staff and the other attorneys, they spook. They get spooked. Yeah. And they start jumping. They're like, yeah. I got to find my next gig. Yeah. And then by the time it sort of works through maybe a probate where you have somebody who can give authority to make decisions on behalf of the firm. They're gone. People are gone. People are gone. And you're just sort of picking up the pieces. Yeah.
0: The, the other uh, interesting topic I'm sure you do see a lot of is marketing, like what's proper marketing, what's not okay marketing, where's the ethical line, especially in personal injury stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know there's even a scenario I can give you that you haven't heard before, but what is your kind of thought process on proper marketing?
1: Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, there's, you know, the rules uh, and every state's different, but the rules sort of, you know, put some guardrails on what we can and can't do. Um, there are people always pushing those rules and especially in the personal injury space, you know, this, mm-hmm. um, there are people out there that aren't playing by the rules. Um, and some of them aren't even lawyers. I mean, they've set up a website it makes it look like they're a law firm and they're not you call and you know, I, the other thing I see a lot of is, you know, the runners and all that. I mean, and it's, it's, it's tough. Um, cause you have all this, uh, competition that does not have to abide by the rules or, or just doesn't. And then, you, you know, you're trying to, so it's tough.
0: It's tough. And I think a lot of it is what gives lawyers bad names in the community, right? I mean, people that are improperly soliciting and reaching out to people that have just gotten in bad wrecks and go to the hospital and things that you just mentioned. Like, I don't know, man, I don't have a good answer for it. We, you know, unfortunately we know that it goes on and we hear that it goes on. State bar, I guess, does the best they can to combat it, but there's resource issues that are in, in limitation too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to take a couple of big public examples being made, and then maybe people clean up a little bit. Yeah, but it's going to have to at this well, point. No one's God. Let
0: it. me and you are going to stick to proper marketing tools. I know one thing that you do that's that's fantastic is your LinkedIn presence. Um, you would post every day, right? I mean, some so, something that is, you know relevant to your firm and to what you're doing into your network. I think it's great. I read them. I pulled a few out uh, here that I've gone through. Um, When did you start doing that?
1: So it was was about October of last year. So I've been on, I've had a a profile on LinkedIn since like maybe six months after it started. So almost 20 years, but I didn't really do anything on it. And then somebody, a lawyer in New York reached out to me. He found me on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. and we had a Zoom call And he posts a lot and I just asked him, I was like, you know, is it, is it, is it good? And he's like, you need to do it. You need Mm -hmm. to do it. So, so, all right, I'll try it. So about this time last year, I I started doing it. um, I think December one last year is when I went to every day. Yeah. And I use a little scheduler type program. So I'm not actually like physically posting every day, but um, it's been incredible. I mean, it really has. I recommend it to anybody.
0: All right. So I'm going to drill down a little bit. So you, you write these your post out in advance, schedule it, and then it will auto publish for you. So, so let's hear about how you go about your strategy, because I struggle myself with how to properly, um, th- the logistics of getting out, I struggle. So I want, I want to learn from you.
1: Yeah. So, you know, l- well, first let's talk about ideas. So, um, just throughout my day, if something comes into my head, I'll jot it down as an idea. You know, I get client questions or just I'm at the gym or on the treadmill or whatever, and a thought comes to me, and so I write it down. So I collect ideas. I've got this file, or I've just got tons of ideas. And then uh, the way I do it, I spend you know maybe two Saturdays a month for about an hour, hour and a half, um, and then I have a. The schedule I use is called Buffer. Buffer. There's some others. B u f f e r. Yep. Okay. And um, there's a free version. There's a paid version. Uh, the free version, I think, maybe you get up to ten sort of posts or 10 schedule the paid version. You can do it out. I mean, I could probably do six months worth. Um, I don't, but you could. Um, And then I just drop them in there probably about two to three weeks mm-hmm. ahead. And then they just start posting. And then two Saturdays from that Saturday, do I'll do again. it again. Yeah. Um, I take my list of things I've sort of collected. And the other cool thing is in social media, I'm pretty much only active on LinkedIn, but um you know, as you're on there, your 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 followers or your connection count grows, um, and whatever algorithm the platform uses, only a su- small subset of your followers see it. See anyway. your stuff, yeah. And so, you know, some of the people that are, that are out there that that are professionals, and I've sort of read from you know, they say every six months or so, you can start to sort of recycle some of the things because people haven't seen it. Uh, you've got.
0: 13,000 followers. I work hard to increase that. that. That's a lot, man. Yeah. That's a ton. Um, not many people get to that number. So first off, awesome. Have you just seen it steadily grow as you've done your posts? Is, is Was there one event that was like an inflection point or?
1: It's crazy. I mean, I, I you know, make connection requests. People connect with me, but it's, you know, I've tried to figure out that algorithm and I don't, I don't figure it out. I don't change, to, once
0: you figure once you it out, they change it.
1: But every now and then, it's like they will turn the dial and all of a sudden, any given day, all of a sudden, you just like, whoosh, yeah. your post has gone viral-ish yeah. for yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, people start wanting to connect and yeah. follow. Yeah. And so, that's happened a few times. And when it does... All of a sudden, your follower count goes up. I think that these these social
0: media um, companies like LinkedIn they reward consistent followers that give good information that people are interacting with, right? Like they're saying, "Oh, Jonathan Hawkins is doing something every day that people in his network like, and they're interacting with him, so we got to sit to more people, right? Because that makes LinkedIn a better place. So if you found that found that place, and that's it's
1: good." Yeah, I think so. The other weird thing I've seen—I don't know if this is true or not—but like, I will have a spike, you know, just out of nowhere, there'll be a huge spike. So they've opened the floodgates to my, whatever content I posted. there's a spike, and then and that'll last for a day or two, and then all of a sudden it's like they turn the knob the other way and it goes way down. It goes it's like down. they're testing me. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to, to keep posting or not? Strong enough
0: to keep posting? So L- LinkedIn is your only one you kind of focus on.
1: That's the only one I'm on. Um, you know, I lurk on Twitter, but mm-hmm. I don't really post. Yeah. Um, but for the, you know, my client base, LinkedIn is probably the, the, the best place to be. I think that's
0: smart to kind of hammer on one of them. I I, I jump around from, from, I think myself, is this LinkedIn worthy content? Is this Instagram more? Is this more Facebook? Like in my mind, right or wrong, I think that there's a certain type of content to fit each one of them. I don't know. Um, but I think that LinkedIn probably, if I were to look back is where I get the most traction in terms of client connections and people that see me and like, oh, lo- the lawyers refer me cases. I think LinkedIn is probably the
1: best. See, for, for for you, I mean, for a PI attorney, you're probably not going to, you might get some, but like actual clients out of it, like where they see you, but it's your referral sources. It's the referral sources. And then, you know, the other thing is it's a, it's a national, international platform. So you could be the go-to guy in Atlanta, Georgia for a Seattle attorney that happens to get a case, you know? Yeah. Totally, totally.
0: Are you pretty stingy with connection requests? Are you, are you are you auditing these people? Like, okay, is this somebody that is is something that should be my network?
1: I'm not that stingy. I've gotten stingier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other bad thing, one of the bad things about LinkedIn, it's gotten a little better is, you know, the SEO type people, they'll reach out, or the web designers, and they immediately start hitting your DMs mm-hmm. and just like pitching you services. I've gotten pretty good about I just ignore those. The other one is the uh, the pretty Asian women.
0: <laughs> that's so funny that you brought up those three categories because that's exactly what I get hit with too. Um, and you know, if I, I I'm pretty um, pretty tight with accepting those those connections with it's another person selling me boost my my SEO and redo my website. Like I don't I don't usually say yes to those
1: people. See, that's the thing. So, so I I make you know you get about a hundred a week outbound connection requests, and and so I very actively you know send them to lawyers mm-hmm. that are sort of in what I, in the profile the avatar that I'm looking for mm-hmm. nationwide, and I'll just and I just send it just with send no it. explanation. I just send it. Yeah. And I think because of the the bad actors, we'll call them. There's some people that just automatically reject it. Right. And then there's you know it's probably like. 30% just reject, 30% will accept. And then there's that middle group that maybe logs in once a month. Yeah. And when they finally log in, maybe they'll accept.
0: It's like in college. If you ask out 10 girls and one says yes, you're still winning, right? That's right. I mean,
1: <laughs> play the odds,
0: <laughs> play the odds. Do you ever do videos too, or are you just doing mostly written content?
1: I've never done videos, although, yep. you know, this new podcast that I'm, I'll be launching, there's a video aspect. To it, so we'll be cutting some videos and putting some stuff. So out let's talk about that. Uh, another
0: part of kind of what you're doing, this podcast. You've done three or four episodes so far, ready so to get rolling.
1: Recorded, haven't, recorded. Haven't okay, haven't dropped them yet. Okay. We'll launch probably mid December, early December, um, and then we'll, we'll drop one every week. It's, it'll be it's called Founding Partner Podcast. We'll be interviewing uh, law firm owners, law firm founders, talk about you know starting firms, scaling firms. And some of them have sold firms mm-hmm. um, and really just, you know, selfishly is for me to get information as I'm growing and trying to scale my firm. I always tell people that I'm very
0: selfish with this podcast as well, because it allows people like you that will be so kind to gift me an hour to come down and I can learn things and talk. and We can hang out. So th- that's a real thing, man. It's it's OK. It's OK. Um what kind of format is it going to be? You said interview, like how long are you going to do it? How often have you thought about kind of the mechanics?
1: So we'll drop uh, one a week, okay. uh, I think in Tuesdays. It'll be interview format um, and, you know, probably 45 minutes to an hour-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I mean, and I'm trying to get, people from all over the country, all different types of practice areas, all different types of firms, uh, all different sizes of firms. And, you know, there might be a solo here or a, a firm that's grown to multi-state multi-office, you know, type platform. And again, it's, you know, for me to learn, uh, hopefully they will share their mistakes and the things that they would do differently, but also learn from their wins and hopefully, Hopefully, people listen and, and, you know, learn some stuff. That's too.
0: exactly right. And what you're going to find with your network is when you connect with somebody on your podcast, they're going to share it. And then those people who you didn't know will listen to it, like, oh, Johnny Hawkins is great. And they'll start following you and it just kind of exponentially grows, which is a really cool thing um, about the podcast space. I and mean, that's what I've seen kind of happen with this, which has been something I didn't totally anticipate, but it's pretty cool.
1: You know, it's I, I told you earlier, you know, I feel like I got I've been on a few cup podcasts, but the interview it it is a skill and i'm learning it um it's going to it's going to take a little while before it i think really gels but
0: yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't beat yourself up over it i mean you know just being able to have a conversation is really all that's required, you yeah. know, and and just being a dude, being a cool dude. Um, you're saying all the right things in terms of shooting for weekly publication. I think that's important. I mean, I think that, you know, every day is impossible. Like, who would even try it? Um, but you start doing it every month and you kind of lose momentum. People kind of forget about you. Um, I think one week, every week is a sweet spot. They say they, whoever they are, um, 44 minutes is like the optimum podcast time. Okay. 22 minutes is the average commute to work. And so they say, if you can do a 44 minutes, people will listen to it on their way to work the first half and then home the second half. Um, So I told you when we started, my goal is 45 minutes to an hour, similar to your, you go over an hour, people are like, I ain't, I ain't looking to invest in this thing.
1: You know? That's good. That's good to know. See, I didn't know that, but yeah, I'll keep that in mind. I have to I think I've kept it to an hour or less
0: so yeah, far. No, that, that that's good. Uh, you used to write a blog too. I mean, so you've always kind of done these kinds of things,
1: right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I like marketing. I've always liked it, business development. You know, from an early stage of my career, I was always out there trying to do it. And, um, and you know, when I started, it was a lot of uh, one-on-one meetings, you mm-hmm. know, just telling people, you know, go to lunch, coffee, whatever, drinks. Um But then you realize, you know, you've got to actually do client work and you're spending all this time in the car going to and from, and then how do you scale that? So, you know, then I started writing, you know, the blog, I had an email list years ago and I'm convinced that's how I really built my practice um, that I have now. And then, you know, then I found LinkedIn and it's like, wow, that's even bigger. And I suspect podcast will be, you know, another example of that doing all of them.
0: I love it. The, 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 blog something I never quite got into. I wish I did. I enjoy writing. Um,
1: are people still, is blogging still a big thing or is it not quite? I'm not sure. I mean, back then, you know, I was, uh, at another firm and I just had it my own separate blog. Okay. You know, I was at a, uh, I call it a business boutique. They did a lot of different things. And even if there was a spot to put it on a website, no one would have found it. So I just created just straight up an independent website. And then I'd send an email every week with what it was, you know, whatever I posted. And, uh, I did that for three years weekly, every week for three years straight, never missed. Yeah. Never missed. And that was, you know, years ago. And I remember thinking back then, I want to do a podcast but i was scared to do it it was a natural
0: step for you it takes commitment it takes commitment
1: no the podcast you were always going to do the podcast
0: it's the next thing um the email uh, email putting together an email list serve is awesome like i do a newsletter every month that i think that gets a lot of traction i mean that's a i get a lot of bounce back like not bounce back like undeliverable bounce back responses from people um I've had several people that are like. Oh, I've been thinking I needed to call somebody. I forgot about you. Now I remember about you. Like, I love the the monthly. I think email still a thing.
1: It's it's huge. I uh, you know I think you know a lot of it doesn't get delivered. You know you're going to get some unsubscribes. The next sort of layer that I'm going to do probably mid next year that I hear a lot of is is the print newsletter that shows up in the mailbox. What's your thoughts on that? I've heard from folks that do it that it is actually really good. Um, I have not personally done it yet, so we'll see. But an email, they can hit delete or they can unsubscribe. But if it shows up in their mailbox, they at least have to see it. And it's
0: not a huge cost. I mean, I've had people that have presented that to me. I live in East Cobb and a lot of my business comes from East Cobb. They're like, you need to just pepper those zip codes with some sort of mail or some sort of flyer. I've never done it, but I think sounds you it. It. sounds like you think it's a good idea. I think you should do it. Okay. I really I really do. Okay. Right. Well, maybe maybe, maybe my 2024 yeah. thing that I'll that I'll add to the mix. Um it's fun talking to marketing with you because I think you think about it a lot like me in terms of kind of grassroots, in terms of you're putting content out that you want people to see and learn from and teach and kind of give away free stuff um in the hopes that they see it and think about you and know that you're the expert in the area, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's the key is consistency you know you can find different channels but the, the concepts the same it's just do something and just be consistent with it you know you know the, I used to say with with the, with the podcast or, or even a blog the only thing worse than no blog or no podcast is is doing it inconsistently if you're gonna do it you got to be consistent yeah that's right um and you you've been good at it. I mean how many episodes do you say uh you'll be
0: this episode will be 86 87 88 depending upon when that's the yeah. key. That's yeah, good. it's the key. I mean, start up doing five and then six, and next thing you know, it's 80-something. So you'll be there.
1: You'll be there. That's we'll, impressive. We'll, we'll, we'll get together in another year or two. You'll so be right you're there. you're coming up on episode 100, man. You got you to gotta celebrate. Right. Yeah, you yeah, got yeah, to have gonna something. It's going to be
0: two or three months. I got to see what we're going to do. The guy, my friend Jason Gans, who was on episode number one, um, good buddy of mine from college, uh, he said on there, he said, if you get to 100, I want to be back for episode 100. So- I'm assuming he remembers, He's probably listening, so he's gonna. He's probably gonna get the title of uh, being on for number one hundred. You know, if it. you
1: if you speed up and go ahead and record, then you can time it perfectly for uh, the national championship game.
0: Right, January eighth, we can <laughs> release it then. Yeah, I mean, from your mouth to God's ears. Hopefully, that's gonna happen. All right, I want to pick on one LinkedIn post you made because it it resonated with me. I want you to explain it. Um, you said maintaining a sense of urgency is a superpower.
1: Yes. Um, I don't always have it. I don't always have it, and I want it. But there are folks that I have met that just constantly, you know, when they decide something, they go for it, and they just keep moving and keep moving and keep moving. Um, and I really think the people that succeed in business, in law, in a case, probably in in, in your in your cases, you know, the, the people that push it that have the sense of urgency, and if you can surround yourself with people that share that, you know. I think that is where you really can achieve big things and I'll have it in seasons, but it's, it's like stringing it together for long periods of time. That is something I wish I had.
0: Oh, I think you do. Um, But I agree with you that it is so important um, and I strive for that as well. And that's why it hit home with me so much is that doing nothing is never the answer, right? Is it ever the answer to do nothing or put something off or procrastinate like I, I just always tell myself, I'm like, if you're going to do something eventually, like do it now. It doesn't have to be perfect.
1: It doesn't have to be the best. Do it. That's that's sort of what I, what I do. So if I decide I'm going to do something, so I, some of the tricks I have is I will take that first step. I just make sure I do the first step. So if I'm going to, you know, I want to do a, uh, I want to write a book next year. So I immediately reached out to a bunch of you know people that could help me on that. So then they're sending me stuff. So then it make it forces me to take the next action. Are
0: you using this as an example, or are you really are writing a book? Oh, uh, not... I'm going to. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, okay. it's on the calendar. All right. So book 2024 i okay, I'm it's trying coming, to interrupt yeah, Continue. It's, it's coming. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, and so you know, it's like you can think about it, you can tell people about it, but when you take that first step, and then you start that, that's a commitment, you know, and then then all, other people are reacting to your commitment. And then it forces you to commit to the next step. So that's my trick. That's the way I do it. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, they did all these studies, right, where originally it was, uh, if you have a goal, tell everybody about your goal, and that'll help you stay with your goal. And then then they came back and said, actually, that doesn't, that doesn't work. Yeah. If you tell everybody about your goal, then you've, in your mind, you sort of already uh, convinced yourself you achieved it. You've done it. And yeah, so it. it's yeah. sort of counterproductive. So I don't really do that. I just, I don't tell people necessarily what my goal is, but I take that first step and it just sort of forces me because then there's people coming at me saying, all right, you're going to do the next thing. The next thing. Makes
0: so much sense. I love it. I'm glad to hear that's how you explained it because that's how I was thinking of it too. Um, Dude, you're a wealth of information on this stuff. I love it, man. This is, this is good. I want to go off topic before we're done on two things. Um, though we could talk about this forever because I, I, I'm learning a lot, but I noticed that you said that if you were not a lawyer, you'd be a drummer in a reggae band. And I want to know if that's just you saying that or if you're musically inclined or if you really do think that you'd want to be a drummer in a reggae band.
1: So yeah, so I, I got a drum set. Okay. I played, I, I got my drum set in middle school. Okay. I played a ton in high school and a little bit early in college. Um, The the funnest summer of my life was um, summer when I was 16. Me and, you know, my bandmates, every day we jammed and we were creating our own music. It was the funnest time of my life. It was, I was a lifeguard. It was it was like perfect summer ever. Um, and I love, I still love music. I love reggae music. Okay. I love it. I mean, Bob Marley is the, the easiest to say, but did you go even deeper than that, obviously? There... Uh, there's a bunch of new stuff yeah. that's really good. I mean, you got the classics for yeah. sure, but there's some new stuff, uh, both American and from the islands. It's just... I was always a big Shaggy fan. I mean, you know, Shaggy, he's more pop, but he's yeah. More
0: pop? He's, yeah. He, he wouldn't be really categorized
1: as, uh, as reggae? Yeah. He's, he, well, he's good, yeah.
0: So, yeah. people listen to this podcast heard me say it a bunch of times before, my dad... In a band, my brothers in a band, they play the guitar, they do banjo. It just skipped me. Like, I I don't know why I love music. I go to concerts all the time. i always listening to music, but I have zero ability to play an instrument. And it is like one thing in my life that I would love to change.
1: You know, so I, I was okay. I mean, I practiced a lot. I took lessons. I was okay. You know, I mean, but I wasn't like a phenom or anything like that. And I, I wanted to try to get my kids interested. They're not interested at all. I mean, I've tried everything. They're not interested. But, you know, I, in college, there was this place. So I was, you know, a tech in Midtown. I don't know if you, if you go, there's a, a tunnel underneath uh, the connector. That, and you pop out sort of near the varsity over there. Mm-hmm. And there was this club. It was called the Ying, Ying Ying Cafe back then. And on Thursday nights, they had this thing called Acid Jazz. And it was... Uh, the band was Lil John and the Chronicle. So Lil John was the drummer. Okay. And he he was the touring drummer for Janet Jackson. I mean, he is incredible. Yeah. I mean, incredible. Yeah. So I, we would go there every Thursday night. I love it. And uh, you know, the way I used to tell it's like, you know, most things I can listen, most songs I can listen to and I, I know what the drums are. Mm-hmm. Um if occasionally there are things I, I couldn't tell, but if I saw it, I was like, okay, I know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I would go there and he would do things. I'm sitting there front row. I don't know what the hell he's doing.
0: How's he doing all this? And
1: so, you know, on the one hand, I was like super inspired. I was like, man, I, I would love to be like that. But on the other hand, it was so defeating because I was like, I'll never be that good. I've always been told, man, that the drummer keeps
0: it all together. That's what, that, I mean, that's what keeps it all going. I mean yeah. that, that's the beat. I mean, uh Metallica's drummer, Lars Ulrich. I always thought he was the best dude. Yeah, just the best. So I got mad respect for you as as a drummer. The other thing I want to mention before before we leave is, um, you lived in the country that is my family's favorite country on earth, other than the United States, Costa Rica. Costa Rica. How would you end up there?
1: Yeah. So um, so I went to George Tech undergrad, and and there we did not we were not required to take a language, so I did not take any foreign language. Um, and we were graduating, and a friend of mine graduating with he said hey man uh you know we never learned anything so why don't we just go to costa rica and learn spanish and i was like sure let's go let's go and so we graduated we were on quarters back then we graduated in march and we were planning to go like at the beginning of june and he was going to navy flight school and he was supposed to report the following january but they moved it up to, to june and he's like Sorry, man. I can't go. And I said, "Well, I'm going anyway. <laughs> I'm going anyway." <laughs> so I went down there. I went to immersion programs. So I sort of lived with a, a family. Spent three and a half uh, months there. Traveled everywhere uh, every weekend. Uh, it was phenomenal. I had a. It was like beginning of September. I'd been there for about three and a half months, and I had a job lined up because by that time I sort of knew Spanish, mm-hmm. and I had a tour guide type job lined up. And they said, "You got the job." but it doesn't start till January. Okay. Okay. And I ran out of money. Oh no.
0: <laughs> so I had to float you for a little bit, man.
1: So I came back, you know, I came back here with the idea that I would work a temp job and go, go back. back and came back, was working a temp job. And then another friend of mine said, Hey, I'm going out to Colorado to work the slopes for a season. You want to come? And Did I said, said, all right, I'll just do that instead. So, yeah.
0: so I, I, I love the mentality of like, saying yes to those kinds of things. People need to say yes more. That's why I tell my kids, like say yes, don't be reckless, but say yes. What, what
1: town in Colorado did you go to? Went to uh, Beaver Creek, mm-hmm. which, uh, what is that? Avon is mm-hmm. the, the town. They, yeah. Uh, worked at Beaver Creek. So after all this, are you fluent in Spanish and a black diamond skier? Forgotten all the Spanish. <laughs> 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 I had skied and, uh, well, I snowboarded, but I hadn't been back in, you know, a number of years. I need to go back.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can't take those t- cannot take those experiences away though. Uh, Costa Rica, I mean, what an embarrassment of riches that country has. I mean, you go from the volcanoes and rainforest, the beaches to the, I just I just love it. It's yeah, I need to go back. I hadn't been there in twenty years. I need to, I need to go back. So take your kids. Um, are you afraid of heights or have any of that kind of stuff? Because there's zipline. There is. I don't know if you did it when you lived there. Well,
1: see, that's where my job was going to be at the zipline co- oh, company dude, in dude. the
0: in the rainforest. So, so in the trust tree here, I was scared shitless doing those zip lines. My kids were all about it and I had to be like strong enough to like, you know, shepherd them through it. All the while I was the last one to go each time I was like clinching on for dear life. It is no joke, dude. It's no joke. See now I probably would be scared then. I was, you know. I was just living. They're just fearless. Doing yeah. They're fearless. I don't like heights to begin with, but you get up there. And I remember when we went, there was seven, seven routes. It got progressively higher and longer.
1: So is this, is this the one in the cloud forest or was this a different one? This
0: is in, uh r and all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, my, my kids to this day, like of all the trips we've gone on, that's what they still get talk about. So anyway, just, just, just on a little aside. Well, look, dude, this was great, man. I yeah. appreciate it. I looked, I just looked down. We're right between 44 minutes and an hour. Perfect. So, you know, accomplish, accomplish. Very good. Um, all right. Give people, we mentioned your website, but talk about website, email address, LinkedIn account, where can people find you? Cause people need to hear from you.
1: Sure. Yeah. Come follow me on LinkedIn or reach out. I will accept your connection request. Um, uh, website, www.yourlawfirmgc.com. Uh, um, I'll be launching the Founding Partner Podcast in early December, so please come find that. And uh, email Jay Hawkins at yourlawfirmgc.com.
0: Uh, Perfect. I've been told with the, with the podcast, you say, like, subscribe, comment tell a friend, do all those things.
1: Yeah, do all those things. (laughs) Do what he said.
0: I'm not very good at that, but I'm told you're supposed to remind listeners to do that. So uh, I will say that. Do that to my boy's new podcast this podcast if you found it new listener we appreciate you listening we try to get good guests like uh my man jonathan on every week and give you some knowledge that can help uh you can find all the ones at sports dot com, uh law firm com, and uh as always we appreciate you guys listening until next time keep chopping